Ah, church, today we're talking about something near and dear to my heart. We're in the book of Joshua. We're in Joshua 10. Now, you may not know this, but Joshua 10 is the target, the target of scientists. Scientists love Joshua chapter 10 because they love to say, see, this proves that the Bible is just a bunch of myths, just a bunch of stories. What is this thing about the sun standing still for a day and the moon not rising? That's impossible. Why, if the earth stopped rotation, we'd all go flying out into space and we'd all disappear and blah, blah, blah. And they missed the point. They missed the whole point of Joshua chapter 10. We've been marching through Joshua chapter by chapter, verse by verse, looking at the glory of our God. Amen? Amen. Side save. We've been looking at the glory of our God, and his people said, Amen. there we go. I'm working on him. I'm working on him. All right. Today we're talking about, I give you my word. There was a long time ago in this country when you did not have to sign a contract with somebody. If I gave you my hand and you gave me your hand and I said, I will be there, you know what? I was there. If I said, I will deliver on time, I delivered on time. You know why? Because a man was only worth what his word was worth. Today, we have to have contracts because everyone lies through their teeth. You mean I get a free month on my cell phone bill? Sure, you get a free month on your cell phone bill. Fingers crossed behind your back. It never happens. We almost expect to get lied to. But we shouldn't do that. We should be people of integrity. Integrity is a forgotten word in this world today. And Joshua 10 is about not just our integrity, but God's integrity as our God, as our Father. Joshua 10, 1 through 8. A promise is important. Ladies, when you got married, you promised to love, honor, and use, right? I know you didn't promise to love, honor, and obey because nobody says that word anymore. I love, honor, use your name to get credit cards. You know. No, I know you never did that, right? No, when you got married, you made a promise to stick it out with that guy through thick and thin, for better, for worse, for weight gain or weight loss, right? That's what you promised, right? I made her promise that, so it was important. Keeping a promise is very important. Look at this, Joshua 10.1. Now, Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, heard that Joshua had captured Ai. We saw that last week. Beautiful. And completely destroyed it, treating Ai and its king as he had Jericho and its king. And that the inhabitants of Gibeon had made a peace with Israel and were living among them. So Adonai Zedek and his people were greatly alarmed because Gibeon was a large city like one of the royal cities. It was larger than Ai, and all its men were warriors. Okay, they're just setting us up right now. They're just trying to get you to imagine. Imagine a powerful city-state. In those days, you had countries, but you had city-states. The king of that city, the king of that place, his power was invested in how thick his walls were and how many soldiers he had, chariots, horses, armor, that sort of thing. These kings, this king especially, Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, was freaked out because here was a huge city. Here was Gibeah. Gibeah was a massive city, a powerful king. They should have resisted. I think I'm getting a little bit too loud. Could you take that down a notch? Because if I can hear myself, it's really bad. <laughs> yeah, I sound like 
I heard that voice in Chicken Little, I am so, no, Dad, don't do that. Okay, so just take it down a little bit, yeah. The big voice is not necessary yet. Okay. So basically, Adonai Zedek was, was freaked out because Gibeah should have resisted the Israelites. They should have fought. Their walls were massive. It says all of their men were warriors. They were a trained warrior people. It had to worry him that such a powerful group would give in, would just make a peace pact. So he was very worried. They were alarmed because Ai had fallen. They had seen it fall. And this city was even bigger and gave up without a fight. You know what's worried. They're worried about themselves. So we go on in verse 3. Therefore, Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, sent word to Hoham, king of Hebron, Piram, king of Jarmuth, Japhia, king of Lachish, and Debir, king of Eglon. Some really ugly names and some really ugly cities. Saying, come up and help me. We will attack Gibeon because they have made peace with Joshua and the Israelites. Notice they already know Joshua is the leader. That tells you how afraid they are. They already know the head of the people who are conquering in their land. So the five Amorite kings, the kings of Jerusalem, Hebron, Jarmuth, Lachish, and Eglon, joined forces, advanced with all of their armies, besieged Gibeon, and fought against it. Now, a besiegel was very easy. Cities had walls, right? Walls keep you out and keep the people in. So how do you conquer a city with huge walls? You put a bunch of people around it, you let nobody go in and nobody come out. After a while, you run out of food, don't you? If you don't have a natural spring in the city, you run out of water. And in a desert country, that's a bad thing. Now, a city could withstand siege if it was well prepared, might withstand siege for three months or perhaps four months. But after about four or five months, the water has gone stale unless they have a fresh spring. The bread is getting dry, the, the supplies are dwindling down, and sooner or later, you know what happens? You give up. You give up. Much like many of us do today. We grow up, we get out of high school, we have all these dreams about what the world's going to be like, we go to college. In college, we discover that the world has no respect for Christians. The world has no respect for your belief in Jesus Christ. It does not respect your belief in purity. It does not respect your belief in a God who is a creator and a God who has but one way to salvation, and that is through his son. So the world doesn't respect you, church. So what's your force, what are you forced to do? You become a little city to defend yourself against the world. Well, what happens after a while? You get tired of defending yourself. You feel lonely. You feel isolated. What are your options? You either embrace the world, embrace the lie, live as a king in the tents of wicked men, or you stay the guardian of the door in the house of the Lord. Now, that's a very lonely post if you're going to hold out for what you know is right. But that's exactly what was happening here. They besieged Gibeah because they had to defeat them. Why? Why did they have to defeat them? Because if you take the Israelites and you add the Gibeons, who are all trained warriors, who have great armies, and you put them together, it's even harder to stop Israel from doing what they're going to do, right? Why do you think it is that the world comes in, just like it did in the last voting election on the whole marriage amendment, 
They come in and they try and pick apart the people of God church by church. That's why so many pastors get attacked. Hey, pastor, if you're willing to support this and this and this, we can get you government money. A lot of churches get money from the government to run programs to help the homeless, to help battered women, and to do other good things. And there's nothing wrong with that. Except here's the problem. We're going to give you money, church, but you have to not teach these things that we find offensive. Let's not talk about homosexuality. Let's not talk about living together before marriage. Let's not talk about one way to God. Let's, let's be like a famous talk show host, who shall not be mentioned here today, <laughs> Oprah, who said that all roads lead to God. Guess what? All roads do not lead to God. There is a road that leads to God through Jesus Christ, Everything else is called the road of compromise. You know what happens in compromise? You give up your integrity in exchange for something that the world gives you that can neither last nor help nor strengthen you. It's kind of like if I put you on a desert island and I say, son, you can have any food you want, as much of that one item as you want. And without even thinking, you know what you say? You say Snickers bars. Because at that moment, you want a Snickers bar. Now you're on a desert island You have no meat, no potatoes, no broccoli, no Brussels sprouts. You got Snickers bars. You know what's going to happen? You're going to get fat, your teeth are going to fall out, and you're going to be stuck on the island like that because you have no healthy food. You can live on the stuff the world gives you, but it's not going to make you strong. It's not going to make you healthy. The people of Gibeah were in bad shape. So what do they do? Verse 6. Then the men of Gibeon sent word to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal. Don't forget Gilgal's about 25 miles away, right? I read an article this week. The guy says, well, we don't think Gilgal was 25 miles away. We think it was only five miles away. And you're thinking, I know what you're thinking. Oh, they must have had good historical research, right? They must have researched the maps of the area. They must have found archaeological ruins to prove that it was only five miles away, right? Do you know what their reason for changing it from 25 miles to 5 miles was? We don't think men could really run more than 5 miles in the desert heat. It's not really practical for them to march that far. So it must have been closer. What are they saying already? That the only thing that they'll believe is what a man can do. What a man is capable of. You're going to see that later on. That doesn't play out. The men of Gibeon sent word to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal, don't abandon your servants. Come quickly and save us. Help us for all the Amorite kings living in the hill country have joined forces against us. So Joshua and his whole military force, including all the fighting men, came from Gilgal. The Lord said to Joshua, underline that. In your Bible, when the Lord says something, that is something you need to stake your life on, church. If a man says something, if a man says, I think, I feel, it seems to me, you can ignore that. When the Bible says, the Lord said, you need to underline that, because that's a promise. And when God makes a promise, it's important, right? Joshua had made peace with the people of Gibeah. He had promised not to destroy them. He had promised to make them part of the community. So that promise to protect them was very important to Joshua. If he didn't follow through, 
it would really say that he has no integrity. And if he had no integrity as God's representative, then could God have any integrity with the people that they were dealing with? No. Ms. Sharon said it. In the world, the way you act toward people that you don't like, and let's face it, if I had you raise your hands, you know that there's people in your life that you don't like. Not that I'm asking you to raise your hand. But there's always that one person out there that you just don't like. The person at the gas station who's just nasty for no reason. The person at the bank that always gives you five cents less than you're supposed to get. And it happens every time. And you're like, what, you can't count the last five cents? There's always that person that scowls at you for no reason, just because they're unhappy or they have stomach distress. There's somebody that you don't like. And so it doesn't matter. When that person sees you, they're going to judge your God by you. If people judged God by you today, how good of a picture would they get of who our God is? Just think about that one. The Lord said to Joshua, do not be afraid of them, for I have handed them over to you. That's a promise. You are going to win. So it's a done deal. Not one of them will be able to stand against you. Notice that in this little section right here, in just 6, 7, and 8, something very important happens. Joshua has made a promise, right? Joshua's going to keep his word, right? He doesn't think about it. He doesn't say, wow, there's five kings against us. And that means they have more men and more chariots and more horses. We're outnumbered. He doesn't even think about it. What does he do? You sent word you're under attack. I'm going to come to you. I'm going to come to your aid because I promised I'll be there. In a church, last night we studied in Bible study, we have a covenant. A covenant is more than a contract. A covenant is we are family, right? This section I'm worried about, yeah. We are family whether we're from Jersey or North Carolina, amen? amen? Family is family. So we do for each other. We don't think about it. We don't wonder. We don't compute the cost. We just stand by each other. And so he does that. And then what happens? As soon as he gets ready to go and answer to his promise, what does God say? Well, I promised you when you came into this land that I would fight for you and that your enemies would go down before you. And so I'm telling you again, don't be afraid. You win You've already won the battle, just go fight it. See, Joshua kept his word, and then God reminds Joshua that he's going to keep his as well. When you stand for what is right in your life, when you stand up for what you believe, when you have the integrity to say, no, I'm not going to marry that cute boy who's not a Christian, even if he is a doctor and has more money than God. I'm not going to marry him. I'm going to wait for God's choice, even though he's a low-down, broke, pot-bellied, ball-headed guy. Hey, don't knock... Don't knock ball-headed pot-bellied guys. They turn into pastors. Are you willing to stand, for, stand and wait for God's best and turn away all the rest? And that can be in a job. It can be in, in, in some sort of situation. You might be thinking about taking a new job somewhere, but it's a hostile environment. They don't like Christians. You have to suppress your faith and not talk about it. Think about all the ways in which we have promised to be a witness to the power of God. And we make that promise on Sunday. I will stand for Jesus. What you promise here, God expects you to do out there. I don't have to see my wife every minute of the day to know that she is faithful to me because I know she is faithful to me. Yeah. I'm going to give up on y'all. 
I'm going to pray for Pentecost to come, Holy Spirit, this tongues of fire. Y'all get it, though. That's how we should be excited about our God. He keeps his promises, but he expects us to be careful in what we promise him. Look at Joshua 10, 9 through 19. A promise holds great power. If I ask you right now to take out a piece of paper, write 10 things that God has promised to believers based upon the word of God only, not what some pastor preached or not what you heard on the radio or not what you sang in a song. If you could sit down and write 10 things God has promised in the word according to the scripture, could you do it? And you know what? I'd be willing to bet that for most of us, including myself, seven of those 10 scriptures would be about what God's going to give me. Here's the thing. God promises lots of really cool things in the scripture. You know the coolest thing God ever promised? If they hate me, they're going to hate you. And, and you know what? If they persecute me, they're going to persecute you too. And your own family is going to sell you down the river in those last days because they're going to turn over to the Antichrist. Aren't those great promises? I like those promises. Because you know what? I see them happening in the world. And what God says through all those things is, even though your family gives up, and they put you in prison, and they put you on trial for your faith in me, I will be with you. I will go with you. I have already been there. I've already been in jail. I've been beaten. I've been spat on. I've been murdered. And if it happened to me, it might happen to you. None of the apostles got out of life alive, except for John. John was in prison in the Isle of Patmos. And you know what? He was released after having the revelation of the Holy Spirit. How long did John live after he was released from the Isle of Patmos prison? He lived only long enough to write Revelation, and then he died. You realize that? He was released in 90 AD from the prison on the Isle of Patmos. He went back to his home. He wrote Revelation and died. That's God's promise, because God promised him his whole life would be profitable for him, and it was. What a cool way to go out, right? Revelation and die. Look at the scripture, though. I digress. Anyways, if y'all get, get tired of me chasing white rabbits, just say bang, and I'll know it's time to move on. Okay, so Joshua caught them by surprise after marching all night from Gilgal. Don't forget, he gets the word, he marshals the troops, he marches all night, 25 miles from Gilgal up to Gibeon. 20, anybody ever walk 25 miles? You ever run a marathon? Can you breathe afterwards? I mean, I ran a 5K once I almost died. That was a long time ago. Anyways, these men went about 25 miles from down here, carrying their armor, carrying their weapons, carrying everything they needed for a siege, water and food. They went 25 miles north to Gibeon, and they arrived the next morning. Tell me that is not the power of a God revealed in the lives of his people. The scholars say, no, no man could do that. And you know what? They're right. No human being could do something that amazing. But one person completely sold out to God could do anything he asked of them. Tell it to the guys that went through the Red Sea. That's 100 feet down, the water stacked up on both sides. How cool is that? The Lord threw them into confusion, meaning the enemies of Israel. <laughs> he defeated them in a great slaughter at Gibeon, chased them through the ascent of Beth Horam, that's the landscape, and struck them down as far as Azek and Makedah. <clears throat> as they fled before Israel, the Lord threw large hailstones on them 
from the sky along the descent of Beth Haran. So they went up the hill and they went down the hill. All the way to Azek, and they died. More of them died from the hail than the Israelites killed with the sword. Does anyone notice something weird in this passage? It doesn't talk about a great soldier. It doesn't talk about how the cavalry did this and the infantry did this and these soldiers did this. It doesn't talk about that, does it? What does it say? The Lord threw them into confusion. The Lord threw large hailstones on them and more died from the hail than from the sword. You see, there's power in the promise because who stands behind every promise in the Bible? God Almighty. So you know what? When someone says, men couldn't go 25 miles and then fight a battle. They could if God was with them. You say, no man can be pure in this world. He can if God is with him. You say, no man can know the will of God. He can if God reveals it to him in the word. There is nothing that we cannot do, no obstacle we cannot overcome, no trial we cannot endure if God is with us. Because if God is for us, who can be against us? It might be lonely sometimes. To have your integrity, to honor your promises, to say, you know what? I am a teacher. I do teach a Bible study. I have to sacrifice several hours every week to prepare. Guess what? God will give you back the hours through the hundreds of thousands of hours in eternity that you were before him. And when he says, well done, good and faithful servant, everything you have sacrificed will be worth it. Church, I'm telling you, we think that what we have here and now is something really great. You know, I was in the gym the other day and I was working out. I know it's hard to believe, but there it goes. I'm in the gym working out and there's this little old dude. I mean, little old dude, gray hair, had his tongue sticking out going from weight to weight. And I'm like, did you know Moses? He's like, oh yeah, I knew him. I'm like, ooh, I'm afraid of you. Because he was still doing the weights. But guess what? That's going to be me in 20 years. Okay, I'm already there, but 20 years, <laughs> shorter. I'm shrinking now. Here's the thing. You can either wait to live your life, or you can live your life every day. Okay, what it takes to stay active in God's kingdom is that every day I am going to go do what it is God called me to do. Every believer should wake up in the morning and open God's word and see what it says. Don't wait until you're out of school. Don't wait until you're married. Don't wait until your kids are out of the house. Because kids never leave the house. They're boomerangs. You throw them out and they come back. You know that's right, don't you? Yeah. Anyways. Don't put off becoming invested in who God is until you have a better time or a more convenient time. Do it now. If you don't stand on your integrity now, you'll never be able to stand on it because you won't have any. If you look at this, God did all the fighting. He sent a storm over them. Now, why would he do that? If you had just gone 25 miles in one night, what would you be? Hot. You'd be hot and tired, right? Think about Judea in the dead of summer. What's it like in the desert in the summertime when the sun's out? It's hot. It's exhausting. These men were already tired from a forced march through the night. So God spreads out a storm over their head, and the storm darkens the sky. The hailstones kill the enemy while it shades his people. It says what it says. God says, abide those who abide in me. That's the picture of coming under a covering 
under, under a tent, under some sort of protection. God can protect us from whatever pressure is on us in this world. That's the power of a promise. Look at verse 12. On the day the Lord gave the Ammonites over to the Israelites, Joshua spoke to the Lord in the presence of Israel. This is the part everybody complains about. Sun, stand still over Gibeon, and moon over the valley of Agilon. And the sun stood still, and the sun and the moon stopped until the nation took vengeance on its enemies. Isn't this written in the book of Jashir? So the sun stopped in the middle of the sky and delayed its setting almost a full day. I must have read five or six different explanations. Authors trying to explain, you know, astronomical events and atmospheric events. One guy said, well, that, that, that uh, the, the, the sky that day was just so perfectly formed with moisture that as the sun went through the sky, it reflected back off the earth and it kind of looked like it wasn't going anywhere, even though it was still going. And then even on the other side of the world, this canopy of water, and I'm like, good Lord, it's like 800 pages to explain one thing. You know what the whole thing was? The whole 800 pages? God's not God. It's exactly what he was saying. He was saying God can't make the world stop for his people. Well, guess what? God can set a bush on fire and it doesn't burn. God can drown the Egyptians in the water while the Israelites walk through on dry ground. God can feed people in the desert for 40 years with bread that falls from heaven and quail that don't give out. In fact, it says in their wanderings, the leather on their shoes didn't wear out. I got news for you. I bought these puppies about a month ago. They're already wearing out. It's cheaper stuff than we had back then, you know. 40 years of the same pair of sandals and the leather didn't wear out? That's not normal. That's not natural. But guess what? That's God. That is who our God is. If our God made the world, spoke it into existence, he can hold it still in the heavens so that the sun shines on the valley of Agilon and his people have victory. You know what? One day, God is going to call us and everyone who is a believer in Christ is going to be gone in the twinkling of an eye. We will be gone. It's not normal. It's not natural. It's not physically possible. But guess what? God wrote the laws. He doesn't care. He knows what he wants to do, and he does it. Now, which kind of God do you have? Do you have the kind of God who requires 800 pages of explanation telling you why he can't do what he wants to do, or do you want a God shown clearly in the Scripture that can do anything he pleases? You know what that means? No matter how young or how old, God can give you the desires of your heart when it's the right time according to his plan. Here's the thing, church, you can't get anxious with God. They had to march 25 miles. They had to chase them down for a day. Guess what? They never gave out. Their strength never waned. They kept fighting until the battle was done. That's not humanly possible. But with God, all things are possible, amen? Or do we doubt the Old Testament? Do we just doubt the word of God? Look at verse 14. There has been no day like it before or since when the Lord listened to the voice of a man. See, in this situation, Joshua saw them escaping. And he called out to God, God, stop the sun so we can finish wiping them out. At nighttime, they could have escaped. They could have run away, right? 
God can give you as much time as you need to get the job done that he has sent you to do. Remember, he told Joshua, go kill him. Joshua said, Lord, I need a little more time to kill him. So God gave him more time. There's never been a day before it or since when the Lord listened to a man because the Lord fought for Israel. There's the Lord again. The Lord fought for Israel, not just his forces. Then Joshua and all Israel with him returned to the camp at Gilgal. Now the five defeated kings had fled and hidden themselves in the cave of Machedah. It was reported to Joshua the five kings had been found. They are hiding in the cave at Machedah. Joshua said, roll large stones against the mouth of the cave. If you've been here for the whole series, you know what large stones mean, don't you? Every time you see large stones, you know God's about to do something amazing. And station men by it to guard the kings. But as for the rest of you, now notice this. Don't stay there. Pursue your enemies and attack them from behind. Don't let them enter the cities, for the Lord your God has handed them over to you. Here's the thing. Sometimes when we have little victories in our lives, church, we are tempted to sit down and enjoy them, right? I told you all about the guy going through the battlefield, sitting down in the river. He almost got himself shot. Here's the thing. You ever go to a Christian camp, go to a, a Bible conference, and you think, oh, Lord, I wish I could go up to heaven today. This has been the finest worship experience, the finest Bible study. This has been the day of all days. Lord, can't I just stay in this moment forever? Guess what? They call it a mountaintop for a reason. Because you're on a journey. You go up the mountain. You get to the mountaintop. And I've been. I've been on some spectacular mountaintops. I've, I've risen to the top of the mountain. And I, I stood on the edge. And I stood probably three feet from the edge. And from the edge down was like 900 feet. Ooh, look at that. Beautiful, beautiful view. In fact, that is the very place in Washington State where people go to commit suicide. They go there to leap off the end. Rattlesnake Ridge, beautiful climb, heck of a drop. Thing is this, you can get to a mountaintop and you can think, I have done everything I can do. I am on top of the world. I don't want to leave. Guess what? You know what's on top of mountains? Nothing. No food, no water, no houses. You know why? Because when you get to the top, where are you supposed to go? Down the other side. You go up, you come down. When the, when the disciples followed Jesus to the point of transfiguration, right? They saw there was, there was Jesus, there was Moses and Elijah. Lord, let's build our tabernacles here. Let's stay here. This is a wonderful place. Did they stay? No. Why? They weren't done yet. They had to finish their work in the valley. You can go up there, be refreshed, be renewed, but you've got to go back down and get to work. Church, spiritual highs never last. They do not last. What lasts is the knowledge that whether you are on the mountaintop or in the deepest valley, a great day or a lousy day, God is still with you. God is still over you. He is still with, with you in the midst of everything you go through. And that's why he says, okay, post the guards here by the large rocks. But the rest of you, go back to work. The victory's not won yet. You've had a victory but that is not the victory. The victory is not won until they're all gone. So he sends the rest back out. He says, the Lord's going to fight for you, so you go. Let's finish this up. Joshua 10, 20 through 27. So we've talked about it. Promises are important. We've made promises to the Lord. Gentlemen, 
We've made promises to our wives. Ladies, believe it or not, you've made promises to us. I didn't hear anything on that one. Anyways, those promises hold great power. Because when you make a promise, you need to back that promise up with your life, with everything you've got. That's why marriage is not 50-50. For those of you who are single, understand this. Marriage is never half you, half them. It's 110% you and nothing of them. That's real marriage. You know why? Because if you think you're giving 100%, you're probably giving 50. If you think you're giving 50, you're probably giving 25. We always overestimate ourselves. When you're married, it doesn't matter what the other person puts in. You put in 110% all the time. You don't serve God just when everything goes your way. You serve God whether life stinks or not. Because life stinks in the bogs, and the bogs are in the valleys, and the bogs are between you and victory. So even when you go through the stinky places in life, diapers, projectile vomiting, children, basically. Yeah, on the other side is the greatness of having adult children that you can love and talk to. Joshua 10, 20-27, a promise kept always leads to victory. When you keep your promises, you win every time. So Joshua and the Israelites finished inflicting a terrible slaughter on them until they were destroyed. Notice this. Here's the bad thing. Although a few survivors ran away to the fortified cities, the people returned safely to Joshua in the camp at Mekedah, and no one dared to threaten the Israelites. Then Joshua said, open the mouth of the cave and bring out those five kings here to me. What, this is what they did. They brought the five kings of Jerusalem Hebron, Jarmuth, Lachish, and Eglon to Joshua out of the cave. Okay, now it's time to finish it up. Traditional wisdom is you sell the kings back to their kingdoms and get filthy, stinking rich. That's how you did battle in the old world. That's how you make a profit. Capture the kings, sell them back, right? That's what a, prophet, that's what a profiteer would do. That's what a pirate would do. But notice this. Joshua was no pirate. When they had brought the kings to him, Joshua summoned all the men of Israel and said to the military commanders who had accompanied him, come here and put your feet on the neck of these kings. This was a Near Eastern custom of this time period. It signified complete victory. To place your foot on the neck of an enemy meant you held his life in your hands. Step down, he dies. Let it off, he lives. So this was a sign of ultimate victory, that you had the power in your hands. So come here and put your feet on the necks of these kings. So the commanders came forward and put their feet on their necks. Joshua said to them, do not be afraid or discouraged. He's talking to his men, not the guys on the ground. Be strong and courageous, for the Lord will do this to all the enemies you fight. He's about to have them do something that is definitely going to make people unhappy. He's definitely going to make folks unhappy with what he's about to do. But he says, don't be, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to finish the course. Don't be afraid to live that complete life. Verse 26, after this, Joshua struck them down and executed them. He hung their bodies on five trees, and they were there until evening. Now, we talked before about why it's important for the bodies to come down in the evening so the land is not defiled, because cursed is every man who hangs on a tree, right? We saw this in a few chapters ago. At sunset, Joshua commanded that they be taken down from the trees and thrown into the cave where they had hidden. And here's our marker, people. 
Then large stones were placed against the mouth of the cave, and the stones are there to this day. Here's another monument to God's work. We have our monument in the middle of the Jordan. We have our monument at Gilgal. We have our monument over the body of Achan. We have other monuments now over those who are defeated, and here a large monument. Why is it so important that those stones are still there at the time of this writing? As a record of what God does. In your life, there should be monuments that you have erected to who God is and what God has done. And a lot of those are going to be tied to your integrity, young man, young lady. It's going to be tied to who you are and what you have done. If you look at a lot of people's lives, there's no monuments. Because they've never stood for anything that God has called them to do. They have always compromised. They have always caved in. They have always done what was expected by the world, not what was expected by God. They've always made the choices that pleased others, but not the choices that pleased the Lord. There must be, I'm going to go far, there must be in your life a monument to the day that you were saved. You may not know the day or the hour, but you do know that you were saved, and you all better say what? Amen. Don't worry about the center section again. Okay, you have to know that you are saved. That should be the biggest defining monument in your life. Go to Washington, D.C., the Washington Monument. That thing stands out, and it just sticks up and stands out. That's what your life should be. The monument to Christ in your life should stand out and shine in the world. And around that should be the other monuments to the battles you have fought. Battles for purity, battles for integrity, battles for honesty, Battles to stand up to those who would push you down and make you conform to their way of life. You have to stand up for what you know is true. These men did it. They did not sell the kings back. They killed them. They piled their dead bodies in the cave. They put up those stones to forever tell people, we will be faithful to God. He said, do it. We did it. We're done. So what is your word worth? Last question for the day. What is your word worth in this world? Now, do you believe that the promises that God has made to you are for you? Do you believe that what he says in the word to believers, is that for you? Yes or no? Yes. Those are your promises, right? You know what they are. You've read them. Do those promises give you courage for life? I will never leave you or forsake you. You know, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because my God is bigger than anybody else in the valley. You know, that sort of thing. Have you made any promises today that you need to keep? This goes two ways. Maybe you've made promises in your life to your parents. Maybe you've made promises to your children. Maybe you've made promises to your spouse. Or maybe you've made promises to your church and to your God. Is there any promise in your life today that you have not yet fulfilled? Think about promises as this. Bible says, let your yes be yes, let your no be no. Don't swear by anything because all you have is yourself. He says this, if you've made a promise, don't be slow to fulfill it. Fulfill the promises you make. When you got saved, you most likely said, Lord, I will follow you. I will serve you. I will glorify you. I will lift you up. How are you doing on your promise? That's a question that only you can answer. And only you need to know the answer to that. Only you need to know how good you're being on your faithful promise 
to, you, to your God. Last one. What will you do this week to keep those promises? There may be some promises you need to fulfill. Maybe there's some people you need to apologize to and say, you know what, I made a promise to be this kind of person, and I wasn't, and I'm sorry. And I want you to hold me accountable to be the kind of person I should be, the kind of leader I should be, the kind of husband or wife I should be, the kind of son or daughter I should be, the kind of friend I should be. We all break promises, so don't, don't think it's just you. We all do that. But here's the thing. When we realize we've broken a promise, we need to go back and make it right. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, thank you. Thank you, Father, that we have seen in your word today that, Father, Joshua had a choice. He could have stayed there at, at Gilgal and not gone to war, Father. He could have broken his promise to the people of Gibeah. And, Lord, he chose to go. Father, the Gibeonites needed his help, Father. They needed him to stand by his word, and he did. And, Father, Joshua needed you to fight the battle, to send the hailstones, to confuse the enemy, to lead them to victory. Father, you even caused the world to stop its rotation so that the sun would bake the valley of Ajalon underneath the cover of that hailstorm. And, Father God, there would be victory because you are a God who keeps his promises. Father, you said that anyone who clings to Jesus Christ will not be turned away. All who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Father, if there's anyone here today, if there's anyone here today who has never called on you as Lord and Savior, Father, maybe we trusted in our church membership. Maybe we trusted the fact that our parents are strong Christians. Maybe we trusted the fact that we go to a good church. But Father, we've never come to the place in our life where we realize we are a sinner separated because we're willful and we desire to live life our own way. Father, if anyone here has never come to the place where they realize that that attitude will only send them to hell, that that blasphemy against the Holy Spirit will only condemn them, Father, today, open their eyes. Open their eyes like you open the eyes of Elisha's servant. Father God, let him see the chariots of fire. Let him see salvation is so close. If only, Father, your Holy Spirit will draw them to make that decision. Father, we cannot know the heart of a man or woman. Lord, only you know today. So, Father, I ask you in the name of Jesus, work on our hearts, Father. Convict us of the promises we have broken. Father, move us to fulfill the promises we made on that day when we came to you as son or daughter. Now, Lord, as we sing, as we lift up our voices to you, Father, receive the praise of your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand up and sing one last song. Let's all rise.